This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. From Chicago, this is the Chabrusa. I'm Avram Kivalevich. I'm Kalman Morch. I'm Kalman. Uh, it's been a long time since we've actually sat down and had a geschmacke suda together, like a, a meal that's mekariv daiton It's like all great legimos. Uh, but since the time that we've lived together in Chicago, uh, the Jewish food scene has gone through uh, quite a bit of change. Uh, there, there's already a, a magazine out there that's called Fleischik. And, and I guess we could start thinking that, especially as we are strong, Kalman, as a community, and we show political might, sometimes we misuse it, but we have political might, we have a certain amount of uh, understanding of how we are in society, then maybe it's time to uh, stop y- using the the Jewish typical diet as part of our ethnic identity. You know, I think, um, you know, it, it, it really isn't, isn't it just really an accident? Okay, the fact is, is that in those areas, like in Germany, they had the Kugel, right? And that somehow they also got perhaps the Kishka as well, because it was something that was uh, popular, the, 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 the cha and other stuff, all this, all this foods that they had was really just a byproduct of being in a certain place in a certain time. And that became sort of the standard food. I mean, can't we just stop thinking well, Jewish meal has to reflect the Jewish, uh, your typical, what your parents ate, what your grandparents ate. Doesn't that seem to be like, like silly? Uh, the fact uh, that we're... I, I would differentiate. Well, let's first what talking about, I guess, is the 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 kugel, the kishka, the chaland, if I may, the, the gefilte fish. You mentioned the pacha, you know, all these all these foods that are associated with with the 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 schmaltzy uh, Jewish diet. I, I I think that those are a beautiful aspect of our society. You need do need to have Jewish food. You do need to. I think that's part of every culture is that there are dishes and meals that are associated with that culture that make you feel connected. To, to the group, and if there is a, a unity and a, a oneness in the kinds of foods which we make, in some ways that brings us together. Um, what, what are you concerned about in, well, in terms of these uh, Jewish foods? Is there, is there a reason why um, we, we should not have kishka? Is there a reason why we should not have kugel? Look, uh, you know, when I hear the word gribelach, you know, despite what it is, it's basically, uh, it's basically chicken skin that is fried on top of the uh, oven and seasoned with various types of onion and, and garlic. So my grandmother used to make these gribalach. That smell will, will, will send me back into the decades and get my, I guess, my mouth watering. So I understand. But when you look at that gribalach, right, take a look at what that is. It's the part, it's the fattiest part of the chicken that's really just the skin. There's hardly any protein in there. And what Yid and Nebuch had to do because of their Urumkite, they had to make the most. The Pcha is the same thing. They had to take the, the, the calf hoof 
because they had they were so poor. So they had to turn it into a delicacy, even though we know now from our nutritionists that these foods are so heavy, in, especially the way we season them with terrible salt and sodium uh, levels. But we also know that the, the, the amount of fat, all of these things can, are contributing to, and I don't know, again, there's a lot of people who are in great shape, but I think a lot of that contributes to whether it's flat out obesity or other sorts, planting other sorts of illness, it would seem that we should really uh, take a critical eye on it and say, this stuff needs to be eliminated. Uh, just the, the point you're making that, that in, in Eastern Europe, if you can get hold of some marrow or griban or pacha, um, that, that, that would be a delicacy because they were, they were, they were starving. And so when you're starving, whatever you can eat is good. I, I get that. And so here we have all the options in the world. Why choose the stuff that's the least healthy? I, it's a fair point. But does that mean that we should throw out these foods completely or, or even that we should change the way that we make dishes? Or I would say, what, why isn't it enough to just make small adjustments? You know, if someone has a, has a salt issue, so, you know, have a low sodium, low sodium challenge and uh, put a little less salt in it and all that. But it sounds like you're suggesting that we should revamp. You know, revamping would be something closer to what you're saying, which is, well, it's sort of similar to what uh, the Zayd and the Bube ate, but it is a healthier version of it. I'm saying we can, maybe we should just walk away from it. Look, how terrible is it going to be that Rav and Aksam Sefer, you know, sat after the Trulant when they were speaking and learning, and we don't even have it. I know the Trulant is Kodesh Gedoshim from the, from the, uh, from the time of the Karoyim and from the Stuk yeah, yeah. I mean, that... you're not suggesting not having hot food on Shabbos. You're just suggesting yeah. a different hot food, right? That yes, means... right, right. I'm not, I'm not saying that we should turn our back at the Kbeda to go against the, the Karaites who felt, or the, the Tzedukim, whoever it was, that said that you can't have any uh, fire burning. I understand that. But we could have such, uh, such uh, and it doesn't even have to be expensive. I think we sort of were forcing ourselves because we want to hold on to some of those great values and Mesiras Nefesh that, that our parents and grandparents had and connecting back to those great, the greatness of that era that we sort of try to reconstruct it in, an, in, in a way that's facile and I would say uh, superficial. Okay, great food. Oh, hey, okay. And, and in this way, now you're this is the same type of Judaism that was practiced before. Yes. Okay. Maybe the same sort of gastronomical stuff is going down your stomach, but it's not the same necessarily what's in your mind, and it's not necessarily the same what's in your heart. And in fact, I would say that unlike previous generations, where you know you you ate what you were able to, today there's all this crazy expertise about it, like truant cook-offs. And, 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 and I know because I myself bought it, you have all these types of herrings that, uh, that have now been, uh, that, are, that are in the market, maybe flooding the market. And <laughs> it was very amusing. And because, you know, both of us are very into Hasidic thought, 
Ooh, the Reb is herring, and here's the Nayim Elimelech's herring, and here's the Vizikovrdichev's herring, and here's the Kotzker's herring. Like, and, and of course, the description makes no sense whatsoever. Why somehow this is the Kotzker's herring? I, I, I know for sure the Kotzker is in, 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 in his tremendous Olam Haba, in his tremendous Ganade, and saying, hey, hey, look at these, look at these upkinara dimension, right? Would they ever even think of, 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 of opening up a Siach Sarfei Kodesh? No, right? But they would definitely pay the seven bucks you know, to get a couple ounces of this ridiculous stuff. And I'm happy people are making Parnosa from it. But it really is. How, do you think do you think all that salt and all that th- that stuff is really helping the world? Come on. Well, first of all, I, I think it's important to point out that this question really only comes up. And I know it's Shabbos every week, but it, it mostly comes up on Shabbos. And Yom Tov and special events. So maybe we have to talk about, you know, bar mitzvahs and chasana separately. But 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 the it really is is a Shabbos thing. And I think that there's something so important about having the Bubby's Shabbos table and having these meals. I think because let, let me start with a question. How can I say that these are the traditional foods of the Jewish people? Do I really think? That 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 the Rambam and and, and Rashi and Rabbeinu Tam and and uh, all, all, even going further back that the Chachamim of, of the Gemara that they had that they had Lakshin Kugel, so the answer is maybe yes. But, but the way that I always answer the question is based on the way that the Hasidim took the approach when they came to the United States. That even though generally speaking in Europe they weren't wearing. Jewish clothing, they were wearing the noble clothing of the society. And, and that was considered the Kavit Shabbos. So you would think when you would come to America, you would wear the noble clothing of the American society, assuming that there is such a thing. But once upon a time, there was such a thing. And, and so, but instead, they decided that because of the nature of the American gullus, of the American exile, that a, a change needs to happen, that we're going to bring this element of Europe with us. And so they brought the clothing and stayed with it. That's the, I know that's an oversimplification, but that's basically what, what they said. I, I, I don't agree with the clothing aspect, but I think in, in terms of the food, I, I think that there's something to, to, um, to value there that we are bringing with traditional um, recipes and, and dishes because it's not just carrying on the chitzonias, the outside. It's much more of something that's traditional. And deep. I mean, think about the way that you spoke of, of your uh, grandmother's grieving. That's how we call the grieving. The, your grandmother's grieving, that's something that connects you to a previous generation. There's something special about that. So I guess I'm making two points is that number one, it's isolated to Shabbos and a person could have their cheat day, so to speak, be a healthy person throughout the week. And then, then Shabbos, we sort of dive into the schmaltz. And that, that's one point. And number two, and maybe you can address each of these separately, there's, there's a need in the United States of America where it's so secular and people are so turned off Food is really a great way to open people back up to to their hearts and the traditions of the Jewish people. Okay. Well, you know, there is a little basis in Chazal about the Neshama Yaseira, and Rashi talks about the Psichas Halev that Neshama Yaseira gives you to be able to eat much more than you usually can. And I know that that could also be interpreted to mean that 
look, most of the week I eat healthy. Most of the week I dig into my role and take out all that extra calories. I take out all and I, and I, and I, I, I chunk it away. On Shabbos, though, I allow myself to actually bite into the challah. At least, so maybe the Rabbinic Shalom will understand I'm doing it with Shem Shammai and Lakovit Shabbos, so I won't get such a health issue. Now, I find though that answer to be really um, a, a, a very manufactured and sort of silly, to tell you the truth. Uh, if if it's clear that there's really the health benefits are nil and in fact negative, then we want Shabbos to be the, the, the best food, the healthiest food. No, we want and Shabbos to be the tastiest food. So, I mean, that, it does have that, right? That stuff is good. Okay, so before we get to the second point, right. yeah, I think both of us are, are suckers for a great potato cook, right? You know, yeah, it's, it's like, can you imagine? And, and of course, if you knew what went in the potato cook, right? You know the amount of oil, right? The amount of the overabundance, whether it's eggs or, or other types of things. Sugar. Uh, sugar. And potatoes are really, in many ways, although it, it kept the world alive, the abundance of, of those calories uh, probably has, is, is not helping people. The, now, if you're going to continue to insist that this is the pinnacle of our, of our week, you're never going to wean people off of things. Uh, look, there are societies throughout the world that eat a totally different diet that we would find probably uh, bland, and yet they are enjoying it. I remember the British, you know, the, the, anything more than salt and pepper was considered overdoing it. Yeah, so I, I think that if we don't try to rein things in, we're going to be continuing uh, this, this, this slide, which I believe doesn't keep us from or protected. I think what it does is give us an artificial layer that we can insert ourselves in and sort of have a little pride in our Jewishness, even though it's, as I said before, and I'm repeating myself, something that's superficial. Yes, you're right. This is a way that because it's uniquely, it's become the uniquely Jewish food, we can now reach it out to others and we don't, and, and we can resist the assault of other, of the other cultures. But, but I think what it does is it, it, you can have the best Jewish cooks n- not connected to the real core values of Yiddishkeit. So, you know, I, whether... The, the, the comparison of of Weisse Zuck and, and Alanga Yibitza to continuing to eat what's considered the typical uh, Jewish meal, I, I think is really misguided, Kalman. I think well, that the- I'm going to agree with you that, that uh, you know, the obesity, just in general, obesity is a big issue in the Jewish community. And uh, certainly we, as a community, are not doing enough to address this, whether it's childhood obesity, the foods that we, we, we teach kids to eat, and all the all the junk food that we make a part of a part of our life and part of the shul and you know all of that those are those are certainly true, but I don't think that um, that that means that we have to become so to speak a a a, a um, healthy people in that way where the Jewish people because of because of um, 
uh, the way that the Torah tells us to protect our health, that we become these sort of health nuts and then blame Judaism on it. I, I think that there's room to have, I, I'm not sure if, if you're really explained to me why you can't have this one day. It sounds like you're saying, because if we have this food on Shabbos, then we'll have this food the rest of the week. Well, okay, so then why can't we create these lines? Why can't we say that on Shabbos, we indulge oh, oh, come on. Look, you know, I don't know. Every household is different. But most of the households that I'm familiar with that aren't in the highest income bracket or the lowest eat leftovers at least till Tuesday, right? So that's one thing. Um, this it's viva with other things. No, common. Let, let, let me show you that that even this edifice that you believe is is in a way untouchable has already been cracked and broken. There's a food that when I was growing up was considered the weirdest, strangest food of of the far a farthern Asian shores. What was it? Raw fish that would be wrapped around uh, would be would, the, the rice would be wrapped uh, around it, and it was considered. Ooh, what is that? And you can see on some of the old television programs where I think when Bill Cosby uh, and and Robert Culp, they were these two spies called, and they were in 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 in, in those countries. What is that stuff? Yeah, they call it sushi. Oh, you call it sushi. And today, your children. My children, my grandchildren, that, that's sort of the most Jewish food in the world now, right? You have to have a sushi, right? That's the, is there sushi at Kiddush? Is there sushi at the Shmorg? So you see that we've already incorporated, and I know sushi is probably healthier than some of the stuff that we've been talking about, um, especially you know, depending on, on what goes in it. So we already see that the edifice is crumbling. Sushi has already taken its place as an incredible four spice. And, and if, does that mean that the edifice is crumbling? I, I, I do think that it's still open to adaptation. That there's that there's always a but there's, process. But, but, but there's but, there's only so much room in the palate. Let's talk about another thing that has occurred in the United States and in Eretz Yisrael, which was different than things were when we talked about the the what you talked about the Jews coming to America in the beginning of the 20th century, the complete interspersion. And, 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 and of Sephardim and Ashkenazim together, marriages of Sephardi and Ashkenazi families, and Eretz Yisrael especially, and whether it's the Teimanim and others. So now, what becomes Dvarim HaMalaf HaMesapas, right? Lefes, right? Chazal are full of that term. Things that you dip your bread into. The very, if we would have family feud and we would have number one answer, Number one answer would be not chop liver. It wouldn't be, right? What would it be? Hummus, right? Now, did, did my grandmother ever taste hummus? Arbus, yes. They had arbus. But, they, but hummus was, for some reason, out of, their, out of their picture. And now, come on, where's the hummus? Where's the hummus, right? So we've, we, we, we have already shifted that that typical yeah, Ashkenazi. I've already, I've already conceded that there there is there is a shift but but this shift that has happened has held on to the <laughs> core of the of the traditional okay so every okay right? so it's the it, most gishmak of foods okay Shabbos is so you have to have the shara bar yasam you know that's yeah. what we're trying to taste I don't know if you have it in Chicago, but here, especially in Lakewood and in Brooklyn uh, and other places, they have these uh, uh, kosher stores where you have a section 
where you serve yourself the hot cholent and you get yourself the uh, the yapchik and other stuff. The stuff that's in that area, right? The stuff that everybody makes a beeline to and, and walks out with these big smiles on their faces because they're able to get stuff that's so... Uh, all the stuff that's in that Yapchik section, that's the, those are the winners. Those are the ones that are, that are going to be part of the, uh, right. of the champion. That's, right. that's what we carry with us in every generation. We have the, we have the, you know, the photographs and, and, and the other and, you know, mementos from our grandparents right. so, and, Bobby's, and Bobby's goulash so, recipe. So, so basically what you're saying is, so that level, whatever store we're talking about, whether it's Jewel or whether we're going to talk about Evergreen or whatever the stores are, Pomegranate, whatever, all these Jewish stores, Pomegranate, Evergreen, oh, yeah, Yiddish store, yeah, Jewel, yeah, Kate's a Jewel, right? All, all these, the, the, the historians will, will talk about the, the names that were used. Okay, so, it's not any less um, or more Jewish than Supersol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hamash beer is all right, though, right? Hamash beer. So the point is, you you admit that fifty, seventy, eighty years from now, that uh, it's like you say, eat from the 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 Levios, the the dog and the shorabar and the Leviosan. But really, that's going to also be considered quaint, right? Because who knows what's going to be left. Who knows, you know, who knows what other elements are, are even going to be there? Zugich, instead of trying to hold on to this, which is, as I said, really sort of like an illusion, let's forget about it. Let's forget about it and, and, and talk straight about what makes a, a good, healthy meal. You know, I, you know what I think is also bad about this, Kalman, is that in the Shidduch market, it becomes one of the questions of what do they have on Shabbos in their house? Right? Do they have a cholent on Shabbos by day? Or they eat milchiks? What they they don't? They eat fish. That's what their main meal is. Right? That's it's all part of checking the boxes of how Yiddish you are, and it should be something that's completely private. It should have. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't have any connection. And I yet throwing out the baby with the cholent water here. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 the fact that people misuse it and the fact that people go crazy and are, are, are so focused on the color of tablecloths and the colors of people's shirts and, and uh, instead of, you know, the content of their hearts and their personalities and, and who they are, it's, that's because in some ways we've become, especially within that domain, very shallow, but that, that, that's not the food's fault. That, that's the, that's the, you know, foods don't, don't scare people off. It's people who scare people off, right? That's right, right, right. But who use the expertise and the ability to... If, if I may, I'd like to take this in a different direction. I, w- I want to ask you your thoughts from a certain perspective. More coming from the words of our sages. We find in a number of places in the Chazal, without throwing out all the examples, but uh, just one, if I may, where there was... Uh, we know there's different kinds of vegetables that can be used for maror. And the Gemara actually creates a hierarchy and says, this one's the best, and this one, then this one, then that one. And there was one rabbi who did not use the superior kind of maror, but used the lesser form of maror, because he says, that's the example that my Rebbe gave. Because my Rebbe used this in his Torah, he always used uh, this vegetable as the example of maror. So that's the one that I'm going to use, even though I know and I have access to a better kind of maror. Right? So this idea that there's something specifically in the world of 
of food, and I know you'll say there's a difference between mar and that's a mitzvah, but you know, I, uh, Baruch Hashem, I've had a little bit of zuchus uh, to learn a little bit the Sefer B'nai Yisachar. I'm sure you've, you've heard of it. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah. In that, in that safe, I tell you, I, I have a tough time unless uh, I read the translation. You know, it's so esoteric and difficult. I think that it's almost a, a closed book unless yeah, there was some young guy who uh, was 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 translating it. Yeah, yeah. It's only only uh, only through those you know so lucidly translated passages was I able really to to understand what uh, Rabbi Melech meant. Yeah, but yeah, I know about the book. I, I appreciate the plug. But uh, the, one of the Torahs that he says there, he quotes a Gemara that says that a certain rabbi said that you're supposed to eat certain foods on Shabbos, and he used an example of beets. So says the Bnei Yisrael, why do you use the example of beets? And he goes on to explain that beets have a certain spiritual quality, and that spiritual quality is connected to Shabbos with Oneg and Nega and all of that without the, the details. And that's why this rabbi used um, used um, beets in every Shabbos meal. So I said, and I always say this, uh, people have heard this from me, that this is why when on, on fish, fish, gefilte fish tastes really good with horseradish on top. Because it's sharp and it, it, it fish can be bland sometimes. A little, a little spice can give it, a, give it that kick. Why in the world did we add the most staining food in the world, which is red beets, into the horseradish, which doesn't really add that much flavor to the horseradish, but we put it in there and just to make it red. And it, it's the first thing we eat at the Shabbos meal and stain our shirts. Who hasn't had a harain stain? And so I said, the answer is because since our sages tell us that we're supposed to have beets on Shabbos, so we put it right at the beginning of the meal so that we too can merit this oneg nega kind of thing. But since we're not of the cultures and communities that have beets on their own, like in the Russian communities where they would have borscht, so we put it into the into the harain. That's what I suggest, and I think I think it's true. I think that's how the beets got in there. You, we all know gefilte fish. Is is because the Jewish bobbies were done with the bore and the bones and all that, so they smashed it all together. And so what I'm saying is that every one of these foods, even if it's manufactured, there's a spiritual significance oh. behind it. Number one, because this was the tradition. I'm, I'm asking this as two separate questions. One is, how do we give up the tradition? This is what my Zaydi ate. This is what my um, my Elta Zaydi ate, number one. And number two, what about all the spiritual significance that these great um, scholars have discovered in the foods? Are you telling me that they're going to find such spiritual significance in sushi? Okay. So I love scholarship and I love being able to dig into the past and say, oh, the reason why the gefilte fish became prevalent in this time was because of an increase of worry about Hilcha Shabbos and because they didn't want to be over on Beirer. And that's a wonderful idea uh, to show that we have adapted and we have been, we have shown fealty to our halacha in what we eat and making sure that we can be mekayim dvarim. Well, even if it's, as you say, uh, a throwback to uh, a, a, a segula of something that's in Chazal. So you see the intense connection our tables have to the Shulchan Aruch and to Chazal and to the Torah. So I think that's a wonderful point that you're making. However, does, we can, can we'll talk about the Shabbos mode 
of ovens, right? People are going to say, oh, you know what happened in the 1980s or 1990s? Uh, the, the oven manufacturers started to create the Shabbos mode, and this was based on the hashpa of, 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 of the kosher consumer, and this changed uh, the manufacturing. I think that's also yeah, going... I think people are surprised to hear that the crockpot was invented by a Jew for the purpose of chalant. That it's not that we discovered it. Oh, look! Here's a crockpot. We can use this. It was made by Jews for the sake of challenge. Okay, so you're really just proving my point. I think that there were we, as long as orthodoxy uh, is strong, and especially now that it's been paired with a scientific inventiveness and understanding of how uh, things work, there's going to be myriad examples. And if if we're going to be leaving other uh, other stuff. In the, in the dustbin of history, I don't think that we're going to be missing much. I agree with you that this is a beautiful hamtzah, is, is that research into why things happen and what occurs is definitely fascinating. Sometimes it's mistaken, because sometimes it really is it, it's an indicator of the amaratsis of a society. Basically, what I'm saying, Kalman, is that I don't think... That tradition... And the way that things are done and connecting to the past in this way and the concept of having Jewish foods of recipes that go back um, perhaps even centuries. I think that there's enough value in that, that we should hold on to the foods and maybe find a way to introduce healthier elements to it. You know, maybe maybe we do need to find a way to make a potato kugel with, without as much um, schmaltz. I, I, I can hear that. You know, why, why poison yourself if you can make it just as geschmack, but it's got to be potato kugel. And, and, and it has to be, it has to be kishka. Uh, the, does it, you know, iron zwiebel. You have to have eggs and onions. Uh, do you have to do it with, with, a, with a three cups of mayonnaise per egg? No, but, but you can do it in a way where, where it's healthy, but it, you should, we should still hold on to the concept of foods because it's these kinds of things We've already changed our names and our language and our clothing. But maybe in in the United States of America, maybe the equivalent of holding on is not to our names, language, and clothing as much as maybe some of the other things that we've held on to. And I think one of those, one of the most outstanding elements of what we've held on to as a people are the traditional Shabbos dishes. Well, it sounds like uh, we are ending this Month, yeah, right? yeah, on this whole subject, we may have bitten off more than we can chew. Yes, and and, and I would say that uh, it, 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 it might have been a delicious topic uh, to start out with. But and I so think it gives everyone enough material to ruminate on. Yes, but some of it is giving me heartburn already at this point. So, Kalman, we'll see you again. He is my um, very... Uh, uh, satisfied and wonderfully uh, tasty <laughs> Rabbi Kalman Warch. And my Chavrusa, the, uh, the always providing food for thought, Rabbi Avram Kivalevitz. We'll see you, Ritz Hashem, next time, hopefully with some other mouth-watering topics to come. Take care, everybody. Be well. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.